Today we begin a new series, um, kind of thinking about the season that we're in. Uh, the world is definitely in the season of Christmas, probably most of you are as well. It seems kind of strange, here we are December 1st, but when you think about it, uh, just 24 short days until Christmas, and um, though it is, we call it the Christmas season, uh, there's not a whole lot of Christ in it. It's a lot more commercialism. And um, as I was thinking about, you know, trying to preach about things that are biblical and applicable, uh, that seemed to me to be appropriate to do, to think about what the Bible has to say about the birth of Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about, um, as we think about this season, with everything that we observe from lights to music, to songs, uh, the gifts even that we give in exchange, all of that has a faint, a very faint hint to uh, foreshadowing of an ancient old, old story. And so we want to remind, as we, as we go back to the old, old story, what the old, old story really says. And believe it or not, the old, old story is somewhat scandalous. Oh, my goodness. So, um, when Jesus came into the world, it was a scandalous thing. Scandalous to Herod, scandalous to the scribes, the teachers, the Pharisees, scandalous to nearly everyone who heard it. There were a few who believed, who, were, who heard this story, but to, even to them, it was a mystery. Within the church, and I mean within the church of Christ, uh, the history around this baby Jesus has been somewhat scandalous as well. I can remember sitting in a church around the season when the world was singing about this story, and there was hardly a mention of the story in church. Talk about any other thing, almost go out of their way to avoid the subject. And, well, that was new to me, that was strange to me, because I, I didn't grow up in the church. That seemed to me very unusual and I, I learned why, the, the Church of Christ reasoning. Number one, uh, it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. The word Christmas is not mentioned a single time in the Scriptures. And that's true. You can go uh, Old Testament to New, Matthew to Revelation, and you will never find a single time when the word Christmas is mentioned. But then, neither is Mother's Day. And yet, every Mother's Day, we seem to talk about mothers. The other argument was, well, you know, it's, it's like all the other churches. That's what they talk about. That's, that's kind, of, kind of a denominational thing. We don't really need to, we don't want to be like them. We want to be different from them. We want to be, and I, I, I get that. We want to be not necessarily different for different sake, but we want to be biblical. They would say, well, we could talk about the birth of Jesus at any time. And we never did. So... My thinking on this is, uh, as I was the other day in the daily Bible reading, I was reading uh, from the book of Acts. 
And it's interesting, when Paul preached a sermon to a very irreligious people, he started not with just chastising them for, for all their irreligiosity and their idol worship and so forth, but he said, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious because you have all of these idols up. And there's one over here erected to an unknown God. And so I want to use that one to talk about the God that you don't know. I like that response better. Using where the world is to draw them back to the promises and the pages. Of course, they didn't have pages. They had scrolls, I guess. The promises of Scripture. This time of year when when you can turn on the radio uh, to B98. And, you know, they've been playing... Christmas music, I don't personally listen to B98 a lot, but Christy said they started playing Christmas music on November 1. Uh, that's a whole other sermon series. Uh, some of you have had your Christmas decorations up since like April, I think. Um, maybe that's a, a theme for a women's conference some year, you know, Christmas in April. Why would we, as the world gets all excited about this season, in a church of Christ, we would be very remiss not to talk about what is a very biblical story. Because there is quite a bit to say about the birth of Jesus. So there's not a word about Christmas in the way that we traditionally think of it. There are four whole chapters devoted to the story and the promise and the prophecies fulfilled by the birth of the Christ child. Now, there's a lot of misinformation about that story, and uh, that's where it's good where we go back to the Bible. You see, the challenge, the danger is with a story like this that we almost want to instantly just reflexively check out because I've heard this story, I know how it goes. I, I mean, I know the details. I, I, and even Church of Christ says, yeah, yeah, I know what he's going to talk about and all of this. Well, maybe. Sometimes there's danger becoming too familiar with the story. I want you to think about this for just a second. Um, this phrase, do you think you could fill it in, even though you've already seen all the slides? Typically, the slides hadn't been shown, we would say, uh, many people would say, the blank shall dwell with the lamb. And we'd say, well, that's obviously the lion will, sh- will lie with the lamb, will, shall dwell with the lamb, depending on the translation. We have works of art with a lion and a lamb, Right? So we go, well, the lion shall lie down with the lamb. But, but if you actually look at the pages of Scripture and turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, if you don't know where that is, it's going to be about page 738. And I actually would like you to look it up because most of the time when I tell people that the lion shall lie down with the lamb is not in there, they go, oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is. The Scripture says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and lion and the fattened calf together. Now, you see how they're similar, right? You see how you could kind of get it mixed up. But, but a lot of people say, well, it's, it's the lion and the lamb. Don't you know that's what Scripture says? That's what's in the Bible. 
Well, that's not what's in the Bible. You see, my point is that sometimes we assume we know what's in the Bible and we don't take the time to check the Bible. So I love hearing pages flipping and I love seeing people on their Bible apps because what you're doing is very much a Berean spirit. You're not just taking my word for it. You're cross-checking the preacher to make sure what he says is what's in line with Scripture. Because what I say, I can just tell you, and my wife will verify, what I say matters very little. What does matter is what God says. And that matters eternally. Now, this is just a small detail, but it's a little example of times when we think we know what Scripture says, and we assume, for example... Did you know that Noah was not in the ark 40 days and 40 nights? No, he wasn't. And we put Noah 40 days, 40 nights, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, it was. It's right there in the Bible. But when you read it, you see, oh, it, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. They were actually in the ark much longer. There's uh, things that we think, well, I know that's in there. We get these questions, Steve and I do, on Know Your Bible all the time. For example, God helps those who help themselves. That's right there in the good book, except it's not. It's not in there at all. We assume the things that things that sound good, that ring true, might be in the Bible. So it's more that's why we want you to study this and read this for yourself. That's why we want you to know your Bible. Lest we think and assume what's in the Bible. It actually isn't there at all. You know, you've got to be very careful about what you think. You can't really even believe everything you think. And so, as we go through this series, talking about the gift that God gave to us of his son, as he came into the world, may we not jump ahead and say, well, I already know what this says. When it comes to the birth of Jesus, you see, we have to separate fact from fiction. When we think about the scripture, separating fact from fiction is important to do. So, let's talk about a few things. One thing you might think was, Jesus was born on December 25th. Well, that's that's not in the Bible. Uh, It's possible he was born on December 25th. I mean, there's a 1 in 365 chance that he was born on December 25th. In my studies about it, I mean, all of the, the, the proof, if you will, is all extra biblical, so I can't say how verifiable that is. I don't think it was anywhere close to December 25th. But the Bible just doesn't say. Do you know probably why the Bible doesn't say? Because we begin to worship the day more than the one who made the day. So the Bible doesn't say when Jesus was born. We really have no idea when he was born, but that he was born, Scripture says, is of the utmost importance. So it's important for us to understand December 25th as we're celebrating Christmas, and some say, well, happy birthday, Jesus. Well, not so much. When uh, you think about the story, perhaps you've seen nativity scenes and things like that, and you think, oh, the three wise men, the magi, they went to see Jesus, but Actually, the Bible never says that there were three wise men. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, that there were three gifts, and you probably know those, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
But there could have been ten wise men. We don't know exactly how many went to see Jesus. Another kind of an idea is something we see in pictures and artwork and hear about in songs about the star of Bethlehem, that the wise men followed the star of Bethlehem. The star of Bethlehem is not in the Bible. The scripture says that he, they went to, uh, and followed his star. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Whereas he was being born king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, Luke chapter 2 addresses sort of another myth that uh, the shepherds and the wise men all came to see Jesus the night he was born. Now we know that the shepherds came to see Jesus, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 10, but the wise men didn't come to the manger. They actually came to Joseph's house, which we know was in Nazareth. So uh, just some simple exercises in examining the fact against the fiction. Examining the truth uh, versus the myth. Uh, Why is that important? Because there are so many times when we think, we assume, we know what the book says, but the only way to know what the book says is to look and read and think about what the book says. So as we study what the book says, which we're going to look at in in this series about the birth of Jesus, the first very simple question is, why was Jesus born? Why did he have to come to earth as we sang about? Well, uh, there's an answer to that. The answer really is our problem. The problem is that our sin separated us from God. From the moment sin entered the world, we had a separation. We have been distant from God. You and I, with our sin, have always been distant from God, but not because God moved, but more precisely because we did. Uh, Someone once said, since the garden, we have been hiding from God and saying he is hard to find. The reason we have distance from God has to do with our sin you see, some people make light of sin. You, you even hear some people, some preachers say, the sin is just bad choices. Well, yes, sin is a bad choice, but there's more to it than that. You see, what happened in Genesis chapter 3 was a great separation from God and those whom he loved. You see, we, you and I, descendants of Adam, were different from the animals and all other creation. We were made in God's image, the closest thing to the creator as a created being. We were made in his image, and yet we chose sin. We chose to directly disobey a command of God, and because of that command, or that disobedience, we were kicked out of the garden, that perfect world in which we lived. Go to the prophet Isaiah if you're, if you're uh, still checking my, my facts about the lion and the lamb and you're thinking, how did he change all the words in all these Bibles? Just turn over just a few pages to page 794. Look at what the prophet says about our sin. It's not something to make light of. It's not something to joke about. Um, it's something that God has always taken very, very seriously. Isaiah chapter 59, page 794 in the Pew Bible. Prophet says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But catch this, verse 2. Your iniquities 
have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So they did, he does not hear. Now he goes on to talk about the, the sin that was rampant in the culture at the time. And, and that's a whole other lesson. But, but the point is that the sin was where separation began. Now, you and I are not responsible for Adam and Eve's sin, okay? We, we are responsible for our own sin, but every time we sin, whether we consider it great or small, it's the, the, the heartbreaking part of it is, has everything to do with our separation from God. You see, He loves you. He knows you. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. But the scripture goes, The the psalmist says, beyond that, he knew you before you were you. He knows you intimately and personally. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words before you say them. He knows your actions. He knows your heart. He knows you and loves you far more than anyone else on earth could ever know you or love you. And you broke his heart. And I did too. We all at one point, Chose sin. We all have fallen away, the scripture says. Each of us turned to his own way. We broke his heart. We were separate from God. And the, 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 the challenge, you see, is that we can't even do anything to fix it. You ever try to fix a problem only to make it worse? Uh, most of my projects around the house go like that. I was trying to fill in a little hole in the wall, end up sort of remodeling the bathroom, you know, just one of those. It just went like the, the more you dig into it, the worse it gets. That's what happens when you and I try to fix our sin problem. Think about it. Think about any time you've tried to really fix and address your own sin. Usually you'll just end up making it worse. Matthew chapter one. Then, as we understand the problem, we, we read these words anew and we listen to what Matthew says to the problem. Now, the birth of Christ Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child to the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, why would you say that? Well, because from all outside views, Mary had been unfaithful. There's only really one way to get pregnant, and Joseph knew that it wasn't him. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's so significant, and it's hard for us as Gentiles to fully understand the significance of saying that God was with us, because in so many ways, 
Not just they were separate from God by virtue of their sin, but in any part of their culture and their worship of God, they were very separate from God. There was many degrees of separation between them and God. In Christ, God is with us. And this truth shows us three very simple gifts that we're going to talk about as we go through this first part of the series this morning. Number one. The, uh, the gift that God had a plan. Your sin, whatever it is, or whatever it was, ha- was not a surprise to God. He had a unique understanding that it would happen, that you would be guilty of it, and that you couldn't do anything to fix it on your own. Now, God didn't just know that and understand that for you. He knew that and understand that for all of us. So he had a plan. Was it God's will that we would separate from him, that we would sin, that we would, would be kicked out of that perfect world? It was not. But pay attention. Go back all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. This is page 3 in the Pew Bible. Genesis chapter 3 is God is laying out the punishments for the sin. And he goes through and he addresses Adam and Eve. And then he comes to that serpent, that ancient serpent. And the scripture reads, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Some translations say between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Savior, starting in Genesis 3, from the moment sin entered the world, God had a plan, the seed of woman. Now, paying attention, you understand that biologically speaking, in in the reproductive cycle, the seed comes from the male. So what God was saying here is there, there is one coming who is significantly different than any other human being who will ever be born. The seed of woman, as Matthew talked about, and, and as Joseph failed to understand, God had a plan, one who was unique, one who was different. And from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God begins to extend this beautiful, powerful scarlet thread that weaves its way through the pages of the prophecies of Scripture all the way through, all the way until we get to Matthew chapter 1. Now, it doesn't stop there, by the way, but the, but the scarlet thread is constantly from Genesis through the, the law and the prophets all the way telling us there's a plan, there's a plan, there's an answer. From the moment Adam sinned, from from the moment sin took over the world and God's heart was broken to the point where he had to destroy it to save it, there was still a plan in in the genealogies, in Matthew and and in Luke, there's a constant reminder that God had a plan. And even when we take it, make it very personal, when you sinned, when you messed up, when you fell short, when you did the things that you, oh, if you just could go back to that moment, if you could just take it back, what you wouldn't give to unsay those words, to undo those actions. Let's sit with that for just a minute. There is an undoable aspect to sin. 
It is a, there's a permanency about it that can't be undone, can't be erased, can't be fixed. Yes, you can be sorry for it. Yes, you can have regret over it. Yes, you can have godly sorrow. But fixing it, undoing it, rectifying it, changing it, atoning for it, that was something we couldn't do. But God could. God had a plan. And God had a plan for you and for everyone in this room and for everyone in the entire world that he's unraveling through the scriptures. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. We're going to blow through these really quickly, but if you care to follow along and keep track of the preacher and let him know when he messes up, and for some of you that's a spiritual gift, I understand that's your... That's your. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Some 1,600 years before Jesus, Genesis, in the story of... Uh, Jacob and Joseph, as Joseph is blessing his sons. Verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah and the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That he was going to come from the tribe of Judah, this promised one, this seed of woman. Turn over to Micah chapter 3 verse 2. The scripture says uh, some 800 years, 750, 800 years before Jesus. But you, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the cities of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be the ruler in Israel. Now, this is not just a few days or a few weeks before Jesus would come. This is several hundred years. We all get worked up if we can't plan a month, a year, a few years out, plan for retirement or whatever. Imagine trying to think 700, 1,000, 1,500 years in the future. That's what Scripture is continuing. This is scarlet thread movings of the prophecies and the promises of the one to come. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Again, 700 or so years before Jesus came, the prophecy would be, Out of Egypt I called my son. So he'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be of the tribe of Judah. He would be called out of Egypt. Is it, and those are just three of the, the predictions of prophecies. There's a, so many prophecies about who Jesus was to be that for one person to fulfill all those prophecies would have to be a very specific person. Why is that important? Because it reminds us that all through the story of the Bible, it is really about one thing. God's Desire to save us in spite of us. And to do that, he, sent, he had a plan. The first gift is, is similar to the second gift, and that, and that is that Jesus became a man. And when you and I think of Jesus, we think of the, the pictures of Jesus. We don't have any pictures, but we, we know pictures that we've all seen, whether it's the, the Last Supper or, or the picture I showed you earlier, the, the manger. I mean, we kind of, kind of think of this person, but we have in mind, you know, we kind of think of him as a certain height, maybe with a beard. We, we kind of think of him with a certain complexion. The, the uh, prophet Isaiah said he would be an unrecognizable fellow. Uh, that's the very loose translation. He's not one that you would see and go, ah, there's the king. I mean, he'd blend right into the crowd. 
We really don't know what Jesus looked like. But you and I need to understand something very important. That Jesus is more than just the man who is here for 33 years on earth. Jesus was before all things. He became, he became the incarnate in the flesh, God with us for 33 years. And he's reigning in heaven today. Jesus has always existed all the way back into the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our own image. You see, Jesus has always been there, he, he, but, but he was part of the plan. It was part of God's plan to send a man. Colossians chapter 1, if you're following along, and I hope that you are. Colossians chapter 1, page 1260 in this pew Bible. And we're going to read verses uh, 15 and following. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You never really paid attention to children until you had your very first, right? And then all of your focus, all of your attention went on him. Jesus, C.S. Lewis once wrote, was the first full human being who ever lived. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, this is speaking of the uh, eternal Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is before all things. He's the head of all things. And, and I know some churches have a kind of a seeker-sensitive, we're all about, you know, being here and, and meeting the needs of the people and all of that. But, 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 but lest you misunderstand, what we are doing this morning has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. Why we worship Every first day of the week has everything to do with him. He is before all things. He is the head of the church. Not the pastor, not the pope. He is the head of the church. He is before all things. And in all things, everything holds together. This story is not about you at all. It's 100% from beginning to end in all things, about him. In fact, John says, in the beginning was the word. And you and I think of the word, as we should, as uh, pages, and they thought of it as scrolls. But the scriptures tell us that the word is a person. And he was there in the very beginning. He was the man who fulfilled the plan. For in him... Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. You and I 
can't even get close to the idea of God. Because we are physical, fleshly beings. You can't see, yeah, the, the way that you and I see, it has everything to do with our physical body. You know, the light comes in, it, 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 it sets off your rods and your cones and your eyeballs, sends an electrical impulse to your optical nerve up to your brain, and that's somehow how you see. Scripture says that God is spirit. We can't even see that Jesus said that the spirit is like the wind. You can't see the wind. We, uh, you, Kansans know a few things about wind. Almost got a new room on my house yesterday, all the wind. Just blowing and blowing. I was sitting there watching through the windows, and I'm watching, and exactly what Jesus said is true. I'm watching the trees move. I'm watching uh, stuff being blown around, and I'm thinking, I can't see the wind at all. There's no way to see the wind. I can only see the effects of the wind. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the fullness of God, spirit, indwelt bodily. That's a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing to wrap your fleshly, earthly mind around. But you need to know that just because you don't understand it doesn't make it any less true. In the fullness of him, all deity dwells bodily. He is the center of the story. And that's, that's the, the purpose. It wasn't just about the plan. It wasn't just about the man. It wasn't just Jesus. Some, some people kind of relegate Jesus to, oh, he is a good teacher, a good moral philosopher. Don't you buy that for a minute. Jesus was 100% clear about who he was and who he claimed to be. Jesus, if he did not fulfill those promises, was a liar, a charlatan, a fraud. May we at least be intellectually consistent enough to say either Jesus was Lord or he was a liar. There is no middle ground. Jesus told us very clearly that he was the Son of God, that he came for the purpose of saving us, that he would be killed, that he would raise, praise God, that he would raise from the grave. And finally, that's the whole point. Jesus came to save us. John chapter 3, verse 17. The scriptures, we all know John chapter 3, verse 16, right? That's the signs you see occasionally at a football game. Somebody puts on a placard. We, we sort of think that we know that, but think just for a second. Read this again, but read the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's the fulfillment of the plan. It's the man. The, it's, Christ is more than just a baby. He grew into a man. He lived a perfect life and he died an atoning death for our sin to save us, to bring us back to draw us back into relationship with God again. The plan was always the man, Christ Jesus. God, you see, though we were far from him, God has never been far from us. And he hasn't stopped from the, from the moment of the garden to today and tomorrow and to all the days we yet have. He'll still seek us with all his heart. My question is for you as we finish this morning is, are you seeking him with all of yours? 
Have you put on Christ? Are you in Christ? You say, well, I, I, I think I am. I mean, I mean, the Bible says right here, it just, it just says if you just pray this prayer and accept Jesus into you. No. Now, you see, we're doing the same thing. Now, the scripture never says that at all. Now, what did Jesus himself say? Let's just look and, and, and finish with Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus was very, very clear. He said, whoever believes and is baptized, will be saved. That's as clear, that is so clear and simple. And so this morning, if you have not believed in Jesus and trusted in Jesus and been baptized, my question is, why not? God has moved from heaven to earth to show the way. He did that for you. And he's left it up to you to choose to accept the gift. There are many gifts that you're shopping for. Probably a few gifts that you will receive this season. But there is no greater gift than what God has given you of his son, the Christ, the savior of the world. But it's up to you to accept that. You see, if, if I offer Gideon this gift and I sort of just hold it there. And, but there's, see, there's this part of it. Yeah, Gideon, he's a teenager. He knows how to do it. Give it to me. You have to do this crucial part, which is what? You have to take the gift. You have to take hold of it. You have to unwrap it. Yes, yeah, perfect. See, we, 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 we know the gift is what I'm asking you now. Have you taken the gift? Have you, have you taken hold of what God has given for you? If you haven't done that this morning, please do that. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait for to finish the sermon series or wait for the right time. Just do it. Respond to the gospel. And if you've been in Christ, but you've lost your way and you'd like for us to pray for you, if you need to repent in a public way, whatever needs you have this morning, I bid you come as together we stand and say.